When I heard that the choir was doing that song this morning, I chose to go to the book of Isaiah and look at one of the key prophecies about Jesus and his coming in Bethlehem. Just looking at the book of Isaiah. Now, this book was written about 700 years before the coming of Christ. And listen to some of the things that were prophesied in Isaiah. In chapter 7, verse 14, there's a prophecy about his mother that he would be born of a virgin. In chapter 7, his name, he would be Emmanuel. And then we're going to look at chapter 9 where his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. We're going to look at that, Eternal Father. Then the, the, the book of Isaiah has a prophecy about his work that he will be filled with the Spirit and that he would heal many. Chapter 53 speaks of the suffering of Jesus. Chapter 53 also speaks that he was silent at his trial. Chapter 53 goes on to speak of his sinless, perfect life that was given. His place among criminals and his burial. All of those specific predictions over 700 years before Jesus came were fulfilled per perfectly and specifically in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about how miraculous that is. If you would go back into the 1300s, about the same amount of time from then till today, and see someone predicting that there would be a United States of America, that'd be a miracle. And then if they were to predict that there would be a state called Texas, boy, that'd really be incredible. And if they were to predict that there would be a place called Rockport on the coast where you catch redfish and swat mosquitoes, that would be a miracle. And you say, wow, but, the, but then if someone back then would say, you know what, in, in the year 2009, there's going to be a church called Coastal Oaks Church. And you say, wow, that's, there, you can't get much more of a miracle than that. And he, they're going to have a pastor from El Paso, Texas. Wow, how cool. <laughs> and then if somebody back then were to prophesy and say, not only that, but his name is going to be Kevin Asa Meilenberg. You'd say, that's it. You can't get much more of a miracle than that. Well, folks, that's exactly what Isaiah did. It's exactly what Isaiah said, empowered and moved by the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at one simple verse, chapter 9. Well, maybe not just one, but we're going to start there. <laughs> chapter 9, verse 6 in the book of Isaiah. We sing about it. We recite it. We know the truth. Isaiah wrote these words. For a child will be born for us. And a son will be given to us. Talked about that when we wrapped up our program this last, uh, whenever it was. Was it a week ago? Was it just a week ago? That, that that important truth is that the son is for us, to us. It is personal. God gave that son to us. But look at, look at uh, verse uh, the next part of the verse. And the government will be upon his shoulders. In other words, he will establish his kingdom. It will be based on who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his name will be Wonderful counselor the old king james had a comma there wonderful counselor but that's the name wonderful counselor mighty god eternal father prince of peace a prophecy about the lord jesus christ as we get ready for christmas and we prepare the way we need to see that god knew exactly what he was doing he planned the coming of the messiah and we're going to look at those four traits or characteristics or attributes of his name that are stated in that passage right there in verse 6. First of all, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the wonderful counselor. Number one, he is the wonderful counselor. We just sang about it, didn't we? Or they did. Wonderful counselor. As I thought about this truth, it really it's, it's God focusing on the wisdom of Christ. 
He is the wonderful counselor, the one who knows all, the one who is able to hear all and meet all needs. And I thought about the wisdom of a counselor, four traits or four attributes of a, of a wise counselor. And let's see how those apply to Jesus Christ. All right. Letter A. He is accessible to anyone who calls on him. He is accessible to anyone who calls on him. But does that not apply to the Lord Jesus Christ as our wonderful counselor? A good counselor is someone who's available and accessible to anyone who calls on him. There's no wait. There's no let me put you on hold. There's no press one for English. Oh my goodness. I've gotten to where some of these places I call on a regular basis. I don't even have to listen to the message. I just punch the buttons because I know that's coming up. You want to talk to this person? There's a, there's a sign in one of the banks in our town as you drive by. It says, call to talk to a live person. <laughs> Why is that? Because in our society, we're just used to being put on hold and talking to a computer. Aren't you thankful that when we go to the Lord Jesus, he's accessible? There's none of this. Hold on. He's busy with the folks in South Africa right now. Just a minute, there's a problem in Afghanistan God's dealing with and he can't listen to you. No way. The Bible says he is accessible. He hears us. We come boldly before the throne and he listens to us. The Bible says that his ear is not deaf and his arm is not short, that he cannot reach those and save us. That's Kevin's paraphrase. He's listening. He's accessible. And that's my next point. He listens. Letter B. He listens to us when we call on him. Listen. Listen. To me right now. <laughs> when you go to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as if you could hear a pin drop in heaven because He's so caring and listening. He wants to know what that need is. He listens to the deepest needs of the human heart. I'd say probably every one of us in this room has something so deep that we haven't shared with anybody. But the Lord's ready to hear it. He's listening. See, a good counselor listens. You don't have this counselor, the wonderful counselor, saying, just a minute, I've got to take a phone call. Or, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I wasn't listening. You don't have this wonderful counselor doing like this pastor does, sometimes trying to think of, what am I going to say in response to what they just told me? They haven't even gotten through with all the stuff they're telling me. And I'm trying to figure out, now what am I going to say in response to that? And I'm really not connecting because I'm trying to figure out, what do I say next? You don't have that with a wonderful counselor. He's accessible and he listens. There's a song that uh, Dennis Jernigan sings. And I don't know the name of it, but it's just this line. If I could just sit with you a while. If you could just hold me. Moment by moment till forever passes by. If I could just sit with you a while. Boy, I sing that song sometime. There in my little chair in my study. God, there's so much stuff going on around. I just want to sit with you and I want you to hold me. And he listens. Whatever junk you've got going on, whatever stuff there is in your life, whatever needs, whatever grief, whatever sorrow, whatever pain, whatever resentment, you just make the list. He's listening. And he wants to hear from you. By the way, you're not going to tell him anything he doesn't know. Have you thought about that one? Man, I could never talk to God about that. He knows. He listens. Let her see. He is compassionate. This wonderful counselor is compassionate. You will not have this wonderful counselor, the Lord Jesus, when you go to him, say, Yeah, like I care. 
Have you ever felt like saying that to somebody? They're just going on and on about something, and you're like, I've heard this a hundred times. I don't care to hear it anymore. Till you get your act together, don't come to me anymore. Boy, I felt like saying that a few times. Now y'all are thinking, who's he talking about? (laughs) My wife tells me all the time when I'm on the phone with my kids, Kevin, act like you care. Yeah, isn't that terrible? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it sounds like you can hardly wait to hang up the phone. You're just like, yeah, okay, uh-huh, all right, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And so I have to concentrate on acting like I care. And I, I care. I do. Okay, we're going to take an informal poll here. How many of you have talked to me on the phone and it sounds like I don't care? Okay. Yeah, see? (laughs) Some of you, there you go, babe. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand. Some of you could not and would not raise your hands. I have to work on that. I really do. I have to work on this compassion and caring. The wonderful counselor doesn't. You take your stuff to him and he cares. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Compassionate, caring. Letter D, he is capable. He is capable. Is that an understatement? I refer people to counselors all the time and one of the, the because I, I are not one. Okay? I know I said that wrong, but that was to get your attention. I I am not a counselor. I try. I do my best, but it's just not my gift. And after a little while, I'm stuck and I say, let me refer you to somebody else. I want to refer people to someone who's capable, who can handle it. Everybody, you know, just because you hang a shingle out, says Christian counselor, doesn't mean you're going to give good advice. Have you all learned that one? (laughs) I've learned that one. I want to refer people to someone who is capable. Our wonderful counselor is more than capable. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. Omniscient, omnipotent. When you go to the Lord Jesus Christ, your wonderful counselor, and you lay a burden at his feet, you can rest assured he can take care of it. Not only is he going to give you the right advice, but he's going to be the one who moves to make it work out in your life according to his good purpose. Romans 8, 28, 29. God's using all the circumstances of the life of those who love him, of those who are called according to his purpose. In order to conform us to the image of his son. See, he's going to use all that stuff. You can be confident that when you go to him, he's capable to chisel and to shape and to mold and to make you into what he desires of you. Capable. We've watched here in this church God being a capable God, haven't we? We've watched him heal marriages. We've watched him provide for this building. We've watched him provide for financial needs when people have been burned out of their homes or displaced or need vehicles or whatever. We've watched him come in when there's been a crisis and every one of us with the wisdom to know what to do say, God, we don't know what to do. We've watched him come in and give us guidance and leadership. He is capable. He's a wonderful counselor. Pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. Secondly, the Bible says he is the mighty God. Number two, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. Mighty God. If you would, look with me at John chapter 1, verse 1. 
To me, this is one of the clearest statements. There are many in the Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that he is the living God. But this is one of my favorite passages. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. If you have any question about who the word is, skip down to verse 14. The word became flesh and took up his residence among us. We beheld it. We observed his glory as of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Who's the word? The son of God, the Lord Jesus. So verse one says in the beginning was the word. He was there in the beginning. He was with God, with the father in intimate fellowship, the third, the second person of the Trinity. And then he was God in your outline. If you want to fill in those three blanks, letter A, he is eternally existent. Eternally existent. He was there in the beginning. When I was uh, a brand new Christian, our Sunday school teacher asked, um, when was, what do we celebrate on Christmas and what is Christmas all about? And, and I said, well, that's Jesus' birthday. And he said, well, that's when he was born, but that's not when he became. And he started doing all this stuff and embarrassing me that I didn't know my Bible. But he, he made this point to say, Kevin, you need to understand that Christmas wasn't the beginning for Jesus. That Christmas was when he became flesh, but the beginning is the beginning. In the beginning, he was with God the Father. So John chapter 1, he is eternally existent with the Father. Letter B, he had fellowship with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and, and the Word was with God. He had fellowship with the Father. If you want to go through the book of John, that's a great book. As the book describes the intimate relationship the Son had with the Father. Now, I'm not here to explain the Trinity to you because I can't. If I could explain it to you, it wouldn't be that mystery. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be something God did. But the Bible's clear that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They are all three co-equal. They're all God, but three in three persons. The Bible's clear that the Son had fellowship with the Father. And it's, it's a model to me in my Christian walk that I'm going to have fellowship with the Father. Third truth there under number two, He is God. He is God. So you can ask who was Buddha, who was Confucius, who was Muhammad, but you have to ask the question, who is Jesus? He is God. In the beginning, he was there. He is God. Had a friend one time come to me and say, Kevin, I'm really struggling with this truth. Because I, I know the Bible says Jesus is God's son, but I, I just can't see that he's God in the flesh. And this well-meaning friend just struggling in his Christian walk, we spent hours going through books and commentaries and we got out our Greek New Testament and our lexicons and all that stuff to try to show him how clearly the Bible states the truth that Jesus is God. Let me tell you something. Anyone who says Jesus is not God, they're missing the key truth of the Christian faith. If you have a group that's meeting in a Bible study, or maybe they're coming to your home to share information, or maybe they're kind of calling a group out and they don't believe that Jesus is God, that's a cult, folks. That's, that's heresy when they say Jesus was a little God, or when they say Jesus wasn't fully God. He was fully God, fully man. He is God in the flesh. Mighty God. You say, well, where does it say that? It says it in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He is the mighty God. John chapter 1, verse 1. He was God. It's important. Mighty God. Number three. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Eternal Father. 
Now that one will puzzle you a minute, won't it? Pastor, you just told me he's the son. He's the second person of the Trinity. Let me tell you what. I love the way the Amplified Bible translates this passage. Father of eternity. He is the father of eternity. Let's talk about that for a minute. Letter A. He's the father of eternity. It means he was there in eternity past. Father of eternity. Letter B. He created all things. He created all things as father of eternity, as as the one who was there from the beginning. He was there in creation. Colossians chapter 1 says that all things were created by him and all things were held together by him. Speaking not of God the Father, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. That father of eternity says that he is creator. That's pretty good. When I struggle, when I'm praying for healing for a friend a family member, for myself. And I know that the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus himself, made me. Psalm chapter 139. He knit me together in my mother's womb, in my inmost parts. He did it. He is creator. Let her see he's Lord of the past, present, and future. See, to be the father of eternity means he is Lord of past, present, and future. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm so thankful for that. I am so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ is consistent. He doesn't ever change. To be Father of Eternity means he is there the same all the time. He has been. When you go through the Old Testament and you find God calling out one of the the patriarchs, To go do something. He would say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when he called Moses out, what did he tell Moses? Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them, I am that I am sent you. And the good translation of that is, tell them, the I will be what I've always been has sent you. And when somebody needed encouragement, whether it was Joseph or Moses or David, he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the same God for you that I was to them. Can I tell you this? He is the same God for us today that he was for them. No difference. See, to be the father of eternity means he's the same. I go back to different places in my Christian pilgrimage where I've struggled with issues. And I've struggled with with either turning sin over or confessing something or making a relationship right or maybe just taking that step of obedience and making a decision for God's glory. I go back to those places in my Christian life and sometimes I want to rehearse what went on back there because I want to grow from it. And I don't have to say, no, God, this is the way I was back then. Remember how you were back then too? (laughs) No need for that. Why? Because he's the same today as he was back then. See, when I was a brand new believer and I was struggling with giving up some things in my life so that I could better be a follower of Christ, he was the same as he is today. As he calls me to be involved in missions or calls me to be involved in stewardship or calls me to be involved in evangelism, he's the same God. He's doing the same thing. I'm the one who changes. Can you get a handle on that? See, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Think about that one. When when you are ready... For what God wants to do in your life, he's right there, he's ready, he's waiting. Sometimes I think God just says, and I don't ever hear it, but I can just hear him saying, Kevin, it's about time you got that one. I have been sitting here waiting for you to figure that out for a long time. 
And I go, Lord, why didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and he says, I did. But if only you had. I was. <laughs> Never changing. Father of eternity. And the last one, this is so good. Prince of peace. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Father of eternity. Prince of peace. The Bible says that Jesus came to bring peace. And we sing about it every Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That message that the angels gave. And people say, that's peace on earth. And everybody prays for peace on earth. And we have the bumper stickers that say, pray for world peace. That's not the kind of peace Jesus came to bring. Now, ultimately, yes. Ultimately, when he comes again, he will establish that peace. The Imperials used to sing a song, there will never be any peace until God is seated at the conference table. Do you all remember that song? Does anybody remember that song? Okay, a few of us. Yeah, too far back, Joey. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You three guys are sitting too close together. I just happened to, I happened to see his lips move, so I knew it was him. Too far back. But that is that not a truth? We, we, we want peace. We want there to be peace, but world peace isn't going to come until Jesus comes back. Here's the kind of peace that he speaks of. Letter A. He established peace with God. One of my favorite tracks to use with evangelism was written by Billy Graham. It's called Steps to Peace with God. And I love it because it's clear and it's, it's, it has a scripture in it and Billy Graham's name on it so people will read it. But it, that's the truth. Jesus came to bring peace with God. Romans 5.1, since we've been justified through faith, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that I was a sinner and I was alienating myself from God. The Bible speaks of enmity or, or this distance that I put between myself and God. And I am, I am an enemy of God because I'm going my own way. All we like sheep, Isaiah wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We were aliens from God, alienated. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, he established peace with God. Let me tell you something. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, there is no peace in your life. You're, you're, you're alienated from your heavenly father. He's reaching out for you. He has sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you to make a way so that you can know him. To make peace. See, the Bible says not only we all like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, Christ, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. How did he make peace possible? He took all of our sins on the cross. And that's what we accept by faith. The Lord Jesus paid the price. He became that bridge. When I was a kid, we would go play in the Rio Grande River up in the upper valley of, in New Mexico. And it, it was about this deep, so it wasn't a big deal, all right? But we, we would find these little sandbars out there and try to build a bridge to that sandbar. And so we'd pile sand up and we'd get rocks and we'd get sticks and everything we could. But even at a couple of feet deep, the Rio Grande River was too much for our bridges. And we'd build them and they'd crumble. And we'd build them and they'd crumble. And we'd build them and the water washed them away every time. And it's so frustrating to say, you know what, this isn't going to work. We're just, we're just doing something that's totally useless. Because we can never make a bridge that's going to stand the current of this river. Folks, it is useless for you to bridge your way to God by doing what you want to do. 
by even trying to do good things, by thinking you can get to heaven by being a good person. It is useless. The Bible says Jesus Christ himself made the bridge. He's the bridge. Just picture a gulf, a, a, a canyon, and God is on one side and man is on the other, and Jesus Christ, the cross, bridges the gap. He's made peace with God. If you haven't made your peace with God, it's simple. He paid the price for your sin. Would you recognize that you're a sinner? He asks you by faith to place your faith and trust in Him completely to be your Lord and Savior. And then to receive that gift of eternal life by inviting Him into your life. That's how you have peace with God. Secondly, as Prince of Peace, He gives us peace within. He gives us peace within. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That, that means this, that, that Jesus Christ in your heart is the referee in your heart. And he's calling the shots and he's blowing the whistle and he's calling the timeouts. He is referee of your heart. See, the Lord Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace, not just to make sure you have peace with God and a home in heaven, but to be sure that your heart is yielded and submissive to him on a moment by moment basis. The Bible says to take his cross daily and follow him. It's a moment by moment thing, a daily thing where you yield to him. Peace within. People say, well, I just don't have any peace. You know what's wrong? There's something wrong in your relationship with God. That's what's up. How do you find peace? You yield to him. You yield to the referee. You let him call the shots. And then he says, peace with others. Let her see. He established peace with God, peace within, and he gives us peace with others. Sometimes I've seen people draw the cross and they say, this, this member of the cross represents my relationship with God. I'm right with him. And then they draw the crossbar and they say, that rep represents my relationship with other people. I like that because the cross says this, you can't be right with God and wrong with others. It just doesn't work. The Bible says as far as is possible, as far as you're able, live at peace with everyone. See, the Bible reconciled us to God so we can be reconciled to one another. Do you know what fixes relationships in the body of Christ? The blood of Christ. You have two people who may be at odds, who aren't agreeing, and they say, because of what Christ has done for us, I submit myself to you. I give up my rights. I willingly lay down my life for my brother. That's peace with others. For me, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, eternal Father, for me, the Prince of Peace is the one that hits home. Because in my life, as I've gone through struggles, I have been able to get through only because of the peace of God that God gives. I was thinking this morning, I was praying through. Back in 1986, when my mother was diagnosed that, that she wasn't going to live many more days with her cancer, and the family was all brought in, and we went out there and, and got to be in the hospital room with her and counted. You know, it was different 20 years ago. They did things differently back then. But we gathered around her, and we, we prayed for her and prayed for her. And we, we moved beyond praying for healing to praying for God, take her quickly. Because it was obvious that that's what was happening. God, give her peace. Take her to you. And I can remember people coming to visit my mother well-meaning church members wringing their hands. What are we going to do without Sue? What are we going to do without Sue? 
And God just seemed to give my family this peace that I cannot explain to you. And I was able to say to the church staff, and I was just a kid, you know what, it's all right. God's in control. He's given us peace. We would pray with her. And God would give peace. And my very first funeral I ever preached was my mother's funeral. Yeah, my sister laid that one on me about the last couple of days. She said, hey, Kevin, mom wants you to preach her funeral when she dies. I said, okay, Lord, here we go. And my very first funeral was my mother's. And I cannot explain, describe to you the peace that God gave me. And how God used that to communicate to others that he's in control. Folks, he is the prince of peace. You can trust him. If you haven't trusted him for salvation, trust him today. If you're not trusting him with your finances, trust him today. If you're not trusting him with your decisions, he's the prince of peace. He wants to referee your heart and your life. Let him do it. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks that you have been present in my life. First of all, wooing me to yourself. And then since the day I opened my heart to Jesus, you've been there. Counseling me, guiding me, strengthening me, showing me that you are able, being my peace. I thank you for that. God, I pray for the people in this room today. Some are going through stuff that makes the holidays a depressing time. Some are going through hurts that they can't explain. Some financially don't know where they're going to turn for the next money to pay the next bill. Lord, you're in control. You're sovereign. I pray today we can trust you. Lord, as you have made possible a relationship with you, I pray that today we would apply that to our lives. Yielding our lives to you. Have your way with us right now. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you've never opened your heart to Christ, if you've never allowed him to establish that peace in your heart, we invite you to come this morning. We'll just help you with that decision right here. We'll show you how to pray and receive Christ. If you need to come and kneel and just turn an issue over, a relationship over, a need over, you come and do business with God right here in this place. Let's stand to our feet. As we sing, you come. Let God have his way with you. Let him rule in your heart today.